we reached a part in the book of Zechariah that's going to require just a little bit of thought and a little bit of rehearsal and then some looking forward uh, ahead. God has been speaking to the nation of Israel through Zechariah the prophet. In chapters 1 through 8, God has been uh, dealing with the nation of Israel concerning their return to the land of Israel. Remember, they were under Babylonian captivity for a 70-year period of time. And you recall right from the beginning, when God had restored them back into the land, he told them, I want this place to begin as a center of worship. And so the first thing I want you to build is not the city of Jerusalem. The first thing I want you to build is the temple. The temple. If you and I will return from a battle zone, what we do is fortify the the house around us, fortify our buildings, fortify our city so that we would not fall under attack. But God said, the first thing I want you to do is rebuild my temple. That's my first command to you. And so Israel began that and then failed miserably and abominably. Satan attacking through various means, through various people, to stop them from rebuilding the temple. So God sends two prophets, one of them being Zechariah, to encourage them to rebuild the temple uh, most likely, um, Zechariah had the greatest effect on them in which he, he's commanding uh, Zerubbabel to get busy to rebuild the temple. Remember, Ezra is there. Uh, the whole business is, is uh, all historical, obviously. God says, start rebuilding, get back and rebuild. And so when they are rebuilding, uh, chapters 1 right through chapter 8 is under a media Persian empire. The Babylonians have lost in conquest, and the media Persians have come in and taken over the entire empire. And so uh, um, Israel's commanded now continue to rebuild. They're under the media Persian empire, chapters 1 through 8. In chapters 9 and 10, we're going to see God prophetically talking about Grecian empire. Now, please follow with me. We'll go back to it in, in a moment. But think about what God had said to the nation of Israel. You will be in captivity. First of all, the Babylonians will take you. Secondly, the second Gentile nation to rule the world will be the Media Persian Empire. Third will be the Grecian Empire. Last, uh, fourthly, will be the Roman Empire. And then following that will be the Empire of Antichrist. So in the book of Zechariah, we have all of the Gentile powers laid out for us, where God said what would happen to the nation of Israel. So experientially, Israel went through that under Babylon. They went into captivity. Secondly, now they're in the media Persian Empire. Uh, those Jews that he's writing to will not live long enough to be under the Grecian Empire, but they will, in fact... It's prophetic. God says this will happen to you, and this is how it will happen. This is when it will happen, and this is what will happen under his uh, sovereign plan, God's purposes. God is planning on bringing the whole tapestry of scriptures together. And you know what's interesting is we're a part of that tapestry. We're a great part of that tapestry. And God is going to work out all the, all the sequences of it, all the amalgamation of it, to bring us all together for his glory, the church and Old Testament Israel. But how he's going to pull that off is absolutely amazing, amazing. Just a microcosm of that. Have you ever planned a big event? I mean a big event. And just wondering how it would all work together. It's amazing to see sometimes if it falls together because of your planning. One time, um, 
Nancy and I were involved in a church in Massachusetts, in uh, North Andover, Massachusetts. And we started with a couple of friends. We started something called the clam boil, steamed clams and corn and things like that. And it was wonderful. We just enjoyed ourselves. And then the thing grew and grew and grew and grew. So one year, we were told we're going to feed 400 people. 400 people is is just staggering to me. Why? I I can't even pull a cookout off. How are we going to feed 400 people? We got these 50-gallon drums, and you had to make sure every little thing was together. What if we had all these four bushels of clams and drums with corn and all this stuff, and you don't have fire. You've got to make sure the fire's right. You, got, you know, So it took months and months and months to plan a cookout for one day for 400 people. But I was amazed. It, it worked out. It worked out perfect. Now think, please. God is going to bring all the nations of the world together, and it's all going to work out according to his sovereign, perfect will with all kinds of satanic attack, with all kinds of pitiful men and women in the mix, trying to go against God, hating God, but God's going to bring it all together. So he's going to take the nation of Israel and he's going to bring them to Antichrist. He's going to take the church to Antichrist and then evacuate us to glory. For seven years we'll be with the Lord. Then he's going to take us back with him and establish his millennial kingdom. And then following that, he's going to purge his kingdom and bring in the new Jerusalem forever. And that's all in the book of Zechariah, the whole business. So we have been through tediously, I understand, and I understand, uh, you know, it's nice to take a good nap during evening service because we're tediously trying to go through some of this stuff. But recognize that God has a plan, and he's already told Israel about the plan. Now he's telling them about his future plan, about his future plan. And we will begin in God's future plan with God letting Israel know one day this pitiful temple that you think is so pitiful, it's small, don't despise the day of little things and all that business. One day this temple is going to be the most glorious place on the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, Gentile nations will hold you by your skirt and say, please, please bring us to Jerusalem with you. The nations of the world. Now to a Jew, that's unfathomable. Because remember, they were his chosen people. They were there to accomplish his will according to his word, and they were to be a separate people from the nations. They would be a witness to the nations by remaining together and worshiping God there. And one day, God said, the Gentiles, the nations of the world, are going to want to follow you to Jerusalem. And that will obviously be true in the great millennium in the great millennium. But recognize, now, in chapter 8, chapter 9, God begins talking about uh, the person we know to be Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great, or the Grecian nation. Now, it actually started with his father, but God is letting Israel know that I have a special plan for you, and what I want you to do is believe me. What I want you to do is trust me. What I want you to do is serve me. And that's no different than us today. God says, believe me to the church, trust me, and serve me. That's what God wants from us as well. But notice in the nation of Israel what he says to them in chapter 8 and verse 9, for example. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Let your hands be strong. 
Now, this is interesting. He tells them to be strong in chapter 8 and verse 9. Look again, please, at verse 13. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and O house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, let your hands be strong. God commands them, be strong. And I want you also to notice in verse 13, fear not, notice. Fear not, verse 13. I saved you, the end of the verse, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Verse 15. So again I have thought in these days to do good unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Fear not. So God lays out for the nation of Israel that they were to trust him, believe him, be strong in him. And that's, that's what's commanded us, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's God's might. It's not your might. You have a responsibility, however, to take up that armor. It's like Old Testament Israel. I'm amazed at this, uh, are you, aren't you? So many battles in Israel against the foreign nations, all God did is tell them, get your armor on. Get it on. I want you to march to the top of the hill, and then God destroyed the nations, and they never had to lift a finger on several different occasions. They never had to fight why God destroyed the enemy. But they had to go there, stand there, and be ready for battle. And God would fight the battle for them over and over again. So, so wonderfully interesting. God tells the nation of Israel, don't fear, be strong, trust me. I have a plan uh, for you. So be strong. And then he says, these are the things that you shall do. So God gives them commands to follow him. Pick that up, if you could, please, in verse 16. And these are the things that you shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor and execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Here's the things you shall do. You're required to do something in your service for me. Now, remember, this was not all a self-service. It was not in the power of their own flesh. They were to make sure... A, they were bringing sacrifice to the Lord, and that was a sacrifice from the heart. They did it according to God's word. They trusted God's word and just acted accordingly. That was their faith. God said, I'm to bring a sacrifice, so I bring that sacrifice. Why? Because God said so. And God said, when, I'm, when I give this sacrifice to the high priest, it's going to cover my sin. Not eradicate it. It's going to cover my sin as a nation. So that judgment, temporal judgment, will not be brought upon me as a nation. So here's the things you are to do. And then he, notice he says, and here's the things you're not to do. Verse uh, uh, 17, and let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath for all these things that I hate. These are the things that I hate, <coughs> saith the Lord of hosts. So God's letting Israel know, you just worship me, follow me, obey me, keep my word, and honor me with your life. And so the nation of Israel began the process of doing that. Very, very, very temporal at best. It's so discouraging to read the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. Is it not? Read through those books. God brought them into the land. He promised them. They, they were rebuilding the temple. Uh, Nehemiah comes along, rebuilding the temple. They're all working together, and at the end of it, they're no better than when they got there. They're no better than when they got there. Remember Nehemiah grabbing people, pulling out their beard, giving them a sock in the head? Listen, 
this is how you got here. This is, this is the reason you're, you're in such pitiful shape as you did not obey God. And they begin the process all over again. I won't ask you, but think about your own life. You were gloriously saved by grace through faith in him. And what did God tell you to do? Honor me. That's what he told you to do. Trust my word, believe my word, and honor me. Be doers of that word and not hearers only. Don't walk in the power of the old man, but walk in the new man. God has told us those very same things. Okay, so now God begins the process of saying you're under media Persian Empire, but the next Gentile empire to come will be the Grecian Empire. <clears throat> and so God, through Zechariah, warns the city of Tyre. And you see that in chapter 9. Uh, look at verse 3 of chapter 9. And Tyre did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mire of the streets. Now God is warning the, the, uh, the, the city of Tyre. So I have to go up to the platform for a moment uh, just so I can show you. Again, I apologize for the um, what is an antique now today, I guess. but uh, An overhead projection. <laughs> it's probably hard for you to Put all that together. But you know, of course, Greece is here. This is Asia, Asia, Asia Minor, Asia proper. And then you go down into Syria, and then you go down into the nation of Israel. I'll give you a little bigger view of that if I can, please. Um, right here you have Greece over here. Greece over here. Then you come over onto Asia, into this area. And this is the Media Persian Empire. Uh, remember, they consumed what we know, the Babylonian Empire ruled the world, and then the Medo-Persian Empire took over the entire world, and they consumed everything that was part of Greece, all of this area. So God's letting um, the nations know that the next step, you've gone through the Babylonian Empire into captivity, 70 years later, now the Persian Empire has taken over, the Media Persian Empire has taken over, but the next empire to take over will be the Grecian Empire under Alexander's father and then under Alexander the Great himself. But what I wanted to show you is this, this area of Tyre. This area of Tyre. That's right here in what we know to be uh, Old Testament Phoenicia, right in here. This is under, of course, New Testament, but Old Testament Phoenicia, the, the, the cities of uh, Tyre, right here. See, Phoenicia, uh, Tyre and Sidon, uh, cities that were, had tremendous amounts of wealth, tremendous amounts of, uh, of, of gold and silver. They were the trade capitals of the world in those days, mainly because they had great warm water seaports that the trades from uh, Rome, the trades from Greece, all the traders from Spain would come into Tyre to dump off their goods so that they could spread throughout the rest of the uh, land of Israel and, uh, and onward. So Tyre has literally escaped Babylonian judgment, media Persian judgment, but God says, because you have rejected me, Tyre, you are now going to face... Grecian judgment, and you're not going to escape it. You're not going to escape it. I'm reading from Dr. Charles Feinberg on Tyre. Dr. Charles Feinberg is just a brilliant, brilliant scholar, a Jewish 
a scholar, a born-again believer in Christ. Um, let me read some, some of the things he said. With serious subdued, Alexander pressed his campaign toward the cities of Phoenicia. So Alexander the Great, uh, having uh, now begun to rule the known world, Alexander the Great went against the media Persian Empire. Now, we're going to see in just a few moments, Alexander the Great uh, believed in a, uh, a, a mobile battle scene. Mobile. That is, he had horses and horsemen. A giant, giant cavalry of people that he could bring against the nations of the world. The media Persian Empire, was they fought old-fashioned fights. They would throw thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men into a battle. They would just go against one another, slam into one another, and completely hack one another till, till the last army with the most men standing won the battle. That was his battle scene. But Alexander the Great used horses and horsemen. And even up to this day, some of his tactics, my understanding is, some of his tactics of surrounding the army, uh, hitting the armies at different angles and different ways at different times, is, is practiced in even our modern-day warfare, some of it. I, I don't know that to be true, but that's what I read at least. But Alexander the Great uh, left Greece, and he came across unto this uh, Turk, what we know to be modern-day Turkey or Asia today, and he began his battle right there. He also sent some ships over to land in behind the enemy. So he, he's, he's got this uh, mobile forces going. And what is happening now is Alexander the Great is going to sweep down, after having taken the Babylonian media Persian Empire, he's going to sweep down into the land of Israel. He's going to head down into the land of Israel. But first he's going to take out Tyre and Sidon, particularly Tyre. So as he is headed down into um, this area of, uh, of Tyre, down into Phoenicia, along the uh, Mediterranean coast, uh, we read that this empire of Titan had Tyre had done something very, very interesting. That is, back many years ago in their history, the governors of Tyre, Tyre was on land, it was on the continent shelf itself. But outside of the continent was... Um, a, an island, a very large island. And the, the governing body decided we should move the entire state capital of Tyre out onto that island. It would be as if Rhode Island decided <coughs> we all ought to go out to Block Island. Now, uh, Block Island isn't large, obviously. We, we flew in to uh, Rhode Island a few weeks ago, and we flew right over Block Island. Magnificent to see the whole thing. Lovely to see it all. But uh, uh, the island outside Tyre was bigger than that. It was quite a distance out from land, uh, maybe approximately a little less than uh, what we have to be, what is Block Island's uh, 12 miles out, something like that. A tire was not quite that distance. At any rate, the capital decided we're going to move our capital out onto that Island, and we're going to fortify that island to be a stronghold. And what's interesting is you read historically that uh, Tyre uh, was uh, besieged by uh, Alexander the uh, not by Alexander the Great, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. It was besieged, and they couldn't break the island. They couldn't break through. Then the Media Persian Empire went against it. They couldn't break the island. That this island stood fortified. 
There's no way because uh, the, the uh, township or the, the city of Tyre, they were still continuing the trade. Ships couldn't come against it because of the vast uh, walls around it, because of the way they planned their fortifications. Somewhat like um, if you read about Herod the Great, King Herod set up fortified places where he could live, and they were self, uh, self-perpetuating places. Uh, one of the most fascinating places that I've ever been to is Mount Masada, down in the uh, Dead Sea area. Masada was built by uh, um, King Herod, and it was a fortified place in that it had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gallons of water, down in a place where no water exists. And they were down deep inside the bedrock where he had giant wells dug out. There were gardens on top. There were palaces on top. It was a lone mountain with just complete cliffs and everything else. You'll recall, perhaps, there was a movie made many years ago. I think the guy's name was O'Keefe on the taking of Masada. And the zealots took Masada during the Maccabean period and... They, the Romans actually had to build a ramp up, up to Masada to take the city. Fascinating, fascinating. But uh, this fortified city, no one could come against it. But God said, I have judged you because of your wickedness, and someone's going to take it. And that's Alexander the Great. And so when we read chapter, uh, chapter 9, we read about the conquest of Alexander the Great against Tyre. Why? Because God said it would be destroyed. And remember, whatever God says will happen. God always keeps his word. Always keeps his word. Now, sometimes we fall short of that, don't we? I know God said, but look at, look what's going on. I know God said, but. And we always have a little bit of question, but God said, I'm going to destroy Tyre. And so when we read chapter 9, we recognize that God had something to do with the destruction of Tyre. Now, what was that? Well, Alexander the Great came against Tyre, and this is historically, and you can go there to this very day. That island that was out there in the sea from the mainland, God said, one day someone's going to scrape the dust of the earth and conquer you. And that's exactly what Alexander the Great did. He scraped the dust from the old city and the rubble from the old city, and he made a causeway out to Tyre and took the city. Why? Because God said, I'm going to judge you for your sinfulness. And you know, sometimes men stand strong. Who does God think he is? He's God. Well, I'm okay so far. Uh, There's the key. So far. But God will accomplish his perfect will. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And so we read about um, the people of... of, uh, of Alexander the Great taking the great city of Tyre. Now, head back with me for a moment, please, if you would, to the book of Daniel. Just to the book of Daniel for a moment, Daniel chapter 8. Remember, this is the third of the Gentile nations that God said would come against the nation of Israel, who would dominate Israel, if you would, who would, uh, who would rule and reign as Gentile nations. God said there would only be four Gentile nations that would rule the world. Number one, Babylon. Number two, the Media Persian Empire. Number three, the uh, Grecian Empire. And number four, the Roman Empire. They would be the only 
nations of the world that would run, rule the entire world in their day. Now we pick it up, if we could please, in Daniel chapter 8. Let's start in verse, verses 1 through 8. God, of, of course, is speaking uh, through his prophet Daniel in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which had appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw it, uh, that I was in Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw a vision, and I was by the river of Uli. So he's, he's, uh, he's in the southern palace in uh, Babylon, in, uh, Media, uh, not in the Media Persian Empire, but right there in the area of what we know to be modern-day Iraq. He's in the southern palace there, and God gives him a vision. And what's that vision? Verse 3. And I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before a, the river a ram who had two horns, uh, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. So just let me break into that to let you know that he's, he sees a vision of the media Persian Empire. The media Persian Empire. The media Persian Empire consisted of two combined empires, but media was the strongest of the two. So you have two horns, but one of them is higher and stronger than the other. And then he says, in verse 4, And I saw, a, I saw the ram... And I saw the ram pushing northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. That is the media Persian empire that, that conquered Babylon and that ruled the whole world. Very strong, very forceful uh, empire, just with, with sheer muscle and might and men, they conquered everything in their way. However, however, God is going to send the next empire, which is, of course, the Grecian Empire. And we see that in the vision, verse 5. And as I considered, behold, an he-goat came from the west over the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So you have this goat coming. And that goat now is going to fight against the ram that has two horns. But this goat has one horn. And this is symbolic, and you'll see that in a moment. Well, well, skip over to verse 20. The ram which you saw, having two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. You see that? Verse 21, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. So this is Greek, the Grecian Empire come against the Media Persian Empire. So there's no guesswork there. God lets us know, here's going to be the battle, and look what's going to happen. And as I considered, beheld the he-goat came from the west over the face of the whole earth, verse 5, and touched not the ground, and the he-goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came unto the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran into him in the power of his fury. So Alexander the Great, his father first, begins attacking, of course, Asia, and, and that's withstood for a while. But then the son comes along, and he comes along with the, the, the fierceness and wickedness of his whole being, and he begins to attack the media Persian Empire, pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. And how is, does he do it? With swiftness. He doesn't fight a fair fight. He doesn't fight according to the Marcus Queensberry rules. 
He's going to hit this guy with everything he's got, any way he can, anywhere he can. And he was successful. But notice what happened, please. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with anger against the ram, and smote the ram, and broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped him upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore, the he-goat grew very strong, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Now, historically, we read that Alexander the Great, in the zenith of his power, in his 30s, we read historically, again, historically, who knows exactly, but historically we read that in the, in the zenith of his power, he died. And he apparently died from a couple of articles I've read, from an atrocious um, disease due to his immorality. He died from an atrocious disease. His horn was broken, and it came to pass, four notable ones came up from the four winds of heaven. So Alexander the Great did not have uh, children that he could, he had children, but not, none that he would turn his kingdom over to. They were children of fornication. So he didn't bother with any of them, but he, he, he turned his kingdom over to, or his kingdom was taken over by four of his generals. By four of his generals. And from those four generals, we're going to see in verse 9, God said Antichrist is going to come from one of those four generals. That was the seed of Antichrist. And you see that in verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. Now, if you put a map of Israel up there, and I, and I won't take a great deal of time to go through this, but if you put a map of Israel up there, you'll see that that seems to be the area of what we know to be Syria today. Syria today. So many Bible scholars, and I just follow what the the better men that I know say, that Antichrist is apparently going to come from Syria himself, from Syria itself, that he would be a a, a Syrian. Now, it does not say he can't be a transplanted Syrian. It doesn't say anything. But that's where the the envelopment of Antichrist will be from a, a Syrian individual. And he's going to attack, if you would, the pleasant land. Now, remember what, what Daniel's doing. He's laying out the kingdoms of the world. This is how the Gentile kingdoms will come. Nebuchadnezzar saw them in a dream of an image. Head, chest and arms, belly and thighs, and legs. Daniel sees them as beasts, horrible beasts. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw the glory of the, the kingdoms, and Daniel saw the fury of the kingdoms. And so as Daniel is laying this out for us, we see that's what Zechariah is talking about, the one that's going to come and is going to take Tyre, is going to destroy Tyre. He's the next kingdom that comes. But I want you to notice it's all under satanic prominence. And the very same thing is true today. The very same thing is true today. Satan is behind everything that flows in wickedness today. Behind everything, everything, everything. The prince of the power of the heiress is there. And it's a warning to the church, is it not? Someday, someday, God says, men will come 
and present doctrines of demons, and my people will believe that. Why? Because Satan has this plan against God. Remember the seed back in Genesis. His seed against your seed. Now, the Lord obviously is victorious. It's already proclaimed. As a matter of fact, when we get back to uh, Zechariah, we're going to see God says, the city of Jerusalem is my plan, is my, is my potential, it, and it's going to be the place of my prominence one day. But you know what's interesting is, if you would go to Jerusalem today and look at it, this doesn't represent God. The whole place is in wickedness. The only people that have any morality there are the uh, Orthodox Jews, and they hate the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate him. Why? Because they believe he was not the Messiah, and they call him treacherous. Even though they practice a form of orthodoxy, recognizes no sacrifice. Their sacrifice is to swing a chicken above their heads. I mean, that's part of modern-day Israeli sacrifice. But the city of Jerusalem does not represent God. But one day it's going to, one day it's going to be in the prominence of glory, that very place that you can go at and look at today. Saying that Israel represents God in all of his glory today is like saying the United States, because our coinage says in God we trust, that's what we're really like here in the United States. It just isn't. But one day God is going to restore the glory to Israel. But he lets us know, not until, not until these, these factors happen. Not until. And the program is going. What's interesting is the only program left is Antichrist. We've had the, we've had the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire. The only empire left to try to take world dominance is the empire of Antichrist. So we are hinged right in the middle of the whole business, just awaiting the sound of the trumpet. And then the power of Antichrist will come into being. But we won't be here with it. So let's continue on just for a moment, please, talking about this person of Antichrist. Notice what happened in verse 10. And it grew great. This is the broken horn. This is the, the, the little horn that's going to come against Israel. And you can read that through the book of Daniel. And it grew great even toward the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of hosts. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And the host was given unto him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it was cast down, and he cast down truth to the ground. And he continued and prospered. This is the reign of Antichrist. He will have a seven-year reign on planet Earth. The three and a half years, he'll come to the zenith of his power. And the, in the uh, three and a half years, the zenith of his power, he'll be killed, according to the book of Daniel, or partially, or almost killed, or it's hard to tell from the language of, of the book of the Revelation. But Satan, apparently, at that point, indwells this person of Antichrist, and he now becomes the preeminence of Satan in bodily form as Satan indwells him, and he does all kinds of 2 Thessalonians miracles, 
seducing spirits, miracles, uh, and, and the world will follow him. And God's letting us know. Pick it up if you can. Skip all the way over to chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8. Pick it up in verse 22. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up, the four kings, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nations, but not in his power. So these were, these were temporal. This was the, the Grecian Empire. So four nations are going to stand up. Yes, that's true. However, however, God said from those four nations, one of the uh, people that will come from one of those four nations is Antichrist. And notice in verse 23, in the latter times of their kingdoms, when the transgressions are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not in his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and continue and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So this is talking about that person of Antichrist. Now what's so fascinating about this is back in the book of Zechariah now, and I'm, I've, I've just about run out of time, back in the book of Zechariah, God has told us through Zechariah the prophet the next person to come, you've been through Babylon, you've been through the media Persian Empire, you were released by Babylon into the media Persian Empire, now the media Persian Empire, you're under dominance of them, but there's another king coming, and that would be the Grecian Empire. And God lets them know that they need to recognize and trust him in that. Picking it up, please, if in verse 9 of Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. See, we had these kings of prominence and pomp and arrogance and wickedness, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius. And the next one to come, perhaps the greatest pomp and circumstance was this man that we know to be Alexander the Great. He's in, he'll come in the glory of himself. People running through the streets, throwing rose petals and all kinds of flowers and perfumers. It's sickening, is it not? Have you ever been to the Newport mansions? Look at it. People build edifices to themselves. They're dead. I don't know if they're with the Lord. That's between them and the Lord but they built edifices. All the kings of the earth will build edifices unto themselves for their own glory and their own honor. But God says, your king's coming. But how is he coming? Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt and foal of an ass. Your king's not going to come like their king. Your king is going to be nothing like their king. Your king is lowly and just. Your king will be the king of kings and lord of lords. So as we go through this, I want you to see now, we're, we're, we've, we've left the present-day conditions. They're in the captivity. They've been released from the captivity. They're in the promised land. They're rebuilding the temple. Things are going according to schedule. But they must... Okay, so it's done. The walls are still broken down. Nehemiah has to come and rebuild the walls. But, and they're still in turmoil. They're still in sin. But listen, 
I'm promising you, God says, Messiah is coming. And to the faithful, he's just saying this, be strong, believe me and trust me. And you know what? When I look around me, things aren't the greatest, are they? They're not. They say, well, we got a new president. He's going to fix the whole world. He may do a little bit, right? But he can't fix the world. Only the King of Kings and Lord of Lords can do that. So that's our promise. That's what we have. We know the Lord Jesus Christ will come one day in power and glory and might. The first thing he's going to do is remove me out of here. And then he's going to bring me to glory with him and then return with me from glory and set up his millennial kingdom, a kingdom that will evolve into, amalgamate into what we know to be the eternal state and the new Jerusalem will take place upon earth. God is going to be victorious. He said, I will set up these kings. This is what happened with these kings. This is the way it will progress. This is the way it will, it will end up. But I'm bringing my tapestry together for my glory and my honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We know, Father, that we just kind of rushed through all of this. We, we just overviewed it for a few moments. But, Father, as we look at your word from Zechariah, we see that you have promised this right from the beginning of time. Your unconditional promise to Abraham right through to our present day. Father, help us to be sure to give you the glory, not to trust in our own might, our own power, not to stand in our own wisdom, not to walk in our own flesh, but to walk by the power of the Spirit of God. Thank you for the promises of the word of God that we can trust, we can believe, that we can have complete confidence in. Father, help us to be doers of that word and not hearers only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.